kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Roar, released October 30th, 1981. It was written by Noel Marshall and Ted Cassidy, directed by Noel Marshall, and released by Filmways Pictures. In 1970, Tippi Hedren starred in Satan's Harvest, which shot in Africa. She was enamored with the region and planned a follow-up family vacation. On a safari in Mozambique, she saw an abandoned plantation house that was swarmed with lions, and the image was so amusing, and the approaching extinction of these big cats inspired her to make a film or series of films with a message of conservation. Tippi Hedren and husband Noel Marshall discussed the idea with their family, and sought out the advice of lion experts on animal preserves, and then presumably disregarded everything the experts said. <laughs> they decided right away that they would have to shoot in America, and predicted a budget of $3 million. The script started with the title Lions, and later Lions, Lions, and More Lions, predictably as their collection grew. It called for the use of 40 lions at the start. Hedron and Marshall started collecting lions from shuttered zoos and circuses in their Sherman Oaks family home in blatant disregard for the law. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, they collected these lions in their house in Sherman Oaks, right over the hill. Why? What are you going to do with... I, I, I know you're about to make a movie with it, but then what are you going to do with 40 lions? Right. How are you feeding them? How much How much can it possibly... We'll get, we'll get into it's that. It's people! <laughs> <laughs> Lion food is people! <laughs> When the animals were brought to the attention of authorities, they were forced to relocate to a plot of land in Soledad Canyon. A home was built, not at all to code, in the style of Tanzanian architecture. A 14-foot fence surrounded the property, and the script kept changing as more species joined their collection, which eventually grew to 71 lions, 26 tigers, a taigon, 9 panthers, 10 cougars, two jaguars, four leopards, two elephants, and assorted African birds. Weirdly, they turned down a hippo that was offered to them, which, if I'm going to pick a killer animal to murder me in my house, I would hippo's going to get it done real quick. Uh, wow. This just, like, uh, this just gets stupider. Like, the more I, I hear, the more stupid this seems. The money Marshall was getting in residuals from producing The Exorcist were slowing to a trickle. The food budget alone for this insane menagerie amounted to $4,000 per week, and Hedron was forced to sell four houses and a 600-acre lot in Santa Clarita to stay solvent. Oh, my God. In she the had four houses to She had sell? four houses, yeah. In the absence of proper care, 14 lions and tigers died during the production from airborne illnesses. Okay, so how... Are they, because they, like, they stamp the beginning of this yep. film with yes, this Humane do. Society bulletin, mm -hmm. which I, I feel like I don't recall on any other movie that we've watched so they far. They did it on the Mountain Men, and they also complained on the Mountain Men that these guys were like crashing horses in the water. Right. But I, how, how are they, how is that, how did they give them that seal? Because they give them the seal before the film is edited, and they're not on set every day. 
So as long as they didn't witness as long any as you animal hide abuse, the bodies of the yeah. fourteen mm-hmm. that died, or you shoot that stuff on off days that those people aren't there, then you get the seal. The seal should come after you've sat down and watched the entire movie, not before they finish not cutting it. Not just the movie, but all of the dailies. I mean, yeah. and I don't know. Maybe there are rules if the animals die of natural causes. Yeah, depends on how natural they are. But also, can we? Are we? I mean, are people animals? <laughs> because I feel like they definitely yeah. got hurt. No, they definitely did. Um, it's also kind of weird when you're in such a big support of the conservation and protection of right? animals, but then you just pile them all on top of each yeah. other. It's like saying, like, I'm, I'm, you know, really big on, like, spay and neuter your pets. I have 600 cats in my house. I mean, people like, do that. They go crazy. And, I mean... <sighs> It might be, I don't know, can, can the big- Toxoplasma gondii? Well, I was just going to say, can big cats cause that? Maybe. So may- I mean, they're, maybe, they're maybe similar. these guys are cat crazy. Maybe. That's entirely possible. They expected that the film would take four to six months to complete, but because lions, especially completely untrained ones, don't do anything you say, it instead took four to five years to capture. John Marshall, son of the director, who appears in the film, has suggested that the actual number of cast and crew injuries on the set had to be in excess of 100. Wow. But all, all the reports that you can find say it was between 50 and 70 people were injured on set. Wow. Yeah, if the same person gets injured more than once, that, that still doesn't only count as an extra person. <laughs> That's still only one. Wow. Hedrin fractured her ankle. Marshall was bit 11 times and was diagnosed with blood poisoning and gangrene. Their daughter, Melanie Griffith, received 50 sutures along her hairline, and it was briefly feared she would lose an eye. DP Jan de Bont was mauled by a lion and scalped, requiring 120 stitches to reposition his hair. He returned to set immediately upon his release from the hospital. What is wrong with these people? Why do you keep going with these severe injuries? I don't get it. I don't get it. The worst injury... But but, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I, I mean, I get it when it's a passion project. It was for Jan de Bont. People on set said that him and Noel Marshall were the two craziest people there because they cared the most about getting it done, which made it that much harder because they were both too stubborn to ever stop, but they also disagreed with each other on every creative decision. I just, I, I don't feel like the film is cohesively Not put all. together in terms mm. of like a message about conservation. Right. Um, that's what he wanted it to be. He right. wanted it to be clear that lions and humans can coexist peacefully. But that's but he doesn't show that no. at all. Nope. No. It, half of this movie is a horror film. Yes. And the other half is also a horror film. I fucking hated it. I could not stand watching this movie. I I mean, I'm spoiling my <laughs> voting up here up front, but this movie made me like viscerally uncomfortable in a way that I have never felt watching any movie ever. And I told you guys, I I told you guys in advance, turn it off wherever you have to because I almost didn't make it through this one. This was the hardest watch for me of the entire podcast so far. And and watching it a second and third time was a little bit better because I knew what was going to happen. But the tension of not knowing whether people are going to die in this scene or what's happening and that it's all really happening, knowing that it's real, yeah. makes it that uncomfortable to watch. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's it's not that hard to watch if you don't know that. Right. Or if you think they're all stuntmen who signed up to get hurt. But these are just actors mm-hmm. who were not explicitly explained not, the dangers that, of the set. But they actually they also stamped the beginning with a the message about these being wild animals that they're not tamed, they're not right. trained. And so you Because do, you can't train a lion. That's not a thing. Like 
you can get them to stand on a box or something like that, but you yeah. can't train them to do a thing in a scene in a movie. Yeah. No, I get it. But I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is these were not animals that were worked with in a way that Correct. was 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 safe or deliberate in any way. And they say that. Yeah. That, that it wasn't deliberate. So you know when you're watching the whole time that the, that these acts were unplanned. Yeah, and, and that's it's like so when you watch those internet videos of a room with like 30 cats in it and one of them freaks out and then it's like a domino effect across yeah. the whole room. That's happening, but with 300, 400 pound lions in every scene. It's like, this is insane. No one would be expected to, to sit in this room for one minute. You spent 11 years making this movie. The worst injury came from a lion named Togar who was always pictured with a mane matted in blood, who bit assistant director Doran Cowper in the throat through the jaw. <gasps> Togar also tried to tear the man's ear from his head. Understandably, the long-running production had a very short turnover as people retreated from the set often after a single day's work. Togar, by the way, was once the personal pet tiger of Church of Satan founder Anton LaVey and was allowed to walk freely around LaVey's home in a San Francisco residential neighborhood. On February 9th, 1978, Aliso Canyon was badly flooded and water had to be redirected to clear a railroad track, which sent a 10-foot wall of water through the Marshall property. It washed away their four-man sound crew. Noel Marshall was awaiting knee surgery at the hospital from a lion attack, but raced home to rescue whatever animals he could. The fences were knocked down and 15 lions and tigers escaped. Oh my God. Three were later shot dead by local law enforcement, including Robbie, the film's central lion, who was replaced with a lion named Zuru for the remainder of the shoot. Oh my God. Tell me when we see a dead lion here, that's literally a dead lion that they dragged no, back they on didn't. set. Okay. No. Oh my God. As a result, it's especially frustrating that in the film's trailer, a title specifically says, Robbie and Togar completely unharmed. It's like, no, Ro Robbie died. Yeah. Robbie was caught in a flood and then shot by police later. The entire $3 million budget of the film wouldn't cover the damage caused by just this flooding. The set was officially fully destroyed. The editing equipment was destroyed. All of their processed film was buried in a mudslide, and oh the film God. stopped down for a year to rebuild. They literally had to dig the film up and get it retransferred. Wow. On top of accurately being described as the most dangerous film ever made, it has also been called the most expensive home movie ever made. The final budget of the film came to around $17 million, and it made less than $2 million back from a severely limited release. I am never going to financially recover from this. Even before the film officially released, Noel Marshall seemed defeated by the production. He and Hedren had grown apart and divorced. As a longtime animal rights activist, Hedren has expressed some regret for her part in this film, in which lions were done a clear disservice. Some? <laughs> she founded the Roar Foundation and the Shambhala Preserve in Soledad Canyon to take better care of big cats, and today 230 big cats have been rescued by these organizations. So she's undone some of the damage. And they are living with Tippy currently. <laughs> she's still her, around, <laughs> yeah. In her Malibu residence. This is the second Lions vs. Family film we've covered for 1981 alone after Savage Harvest, and a third came the same year, White Lions, starring Michael York, but I've had trouble locating a copy anywhere. Up front, I want to spoil that this movie is not worth seeing, like by anyone. It's not something that you should watch. You should just hear about it, read an article about the terrible things that happened, and that should be the end of your involvement. We start with a title card that presents the film with a seal of approval from the American Humane Association, whom I will never trust again. This is a meaningless prompt now. Mm. And anytime I see this, I'll assume that all the animals were shot on set and people danced around in their blood. 
We watch a lot of African wildlife B-roll under the opening credits. Another title reads, Since the choice was made to use untrained animals, and since for the most part they chose to do as they wished, it's only fair that they share the writing and directing credits. AKA, we didn't do our job right. well. <laughs> I think it's less of a cheeky credit than it is the filmmakers trying to spread the blame for what yeah. an absolute right? worthless piece of shit this movie is. This seemed like a legal move. Yeah. Like, if you credit... If the director goes to jail, then let's just say the lions directed it. Yeah, it's like, we're gonna, we're, we'll are gonna we spread the blame around the animals. Yeah. And then it says, well, I mean, you can't... Your honor... I'll uh, tell you where Robbie's buried, but he, <laughs> you can't take him to jail. Special thanks is also extended to the Maasai and the peoples of Kenya and Tanzania. The first actual scene is of Noel Marshall as Hank, dressed as a doctor and attending to the children of a local tribe. Is he a doctor? I'd I bet not, but he's wearing a white cloak and a stethoscope here. He, I guess Does he just dress up as a doctor so that he can pay for things by going to the local tribe and wrapping bandages around them? Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, you know, if you are a veterinarian... Uh, is he, he, though? But is he even that? He's not even yeah. doing anything to take care of these I think he just lines. pretends to be things. He pretends to be a yeah. doctor, a competent animal tender, you know. <laughs> we watch him ride a motorcycle all the way home, and giraffes and other wildlife run alongside him. These few shots were actually recorded in Kenya, but the rest takes place at the family's acting California home. Hank arrives home to a two-story boathouse on a river. At the nearest airport, Hank's family, wife, daughter, and two sons, have just flown in, and they wonder where he is. He's at home, feeding baby lions and tigers milk bottles. I assume he just forgot about his family. Oh, no, I guess not, because he just told the lion babies that they'll be here today to meet them. Yeah. So he didn't forget that they're flying in. He just Super late. decided not to pick them up yet. Yeah. Boy, you guys wait till my family gets here tonight. They're going to love you. Um, I will say this. Um, I think the house looks super neat. No, it does, like, from a distance. It, like, like the, the exterior is like, oh, that's, 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 like, that's like something I would have built in Minecraft. Yeah, like like just big more like wrap- Fallout. <laughs> it looks yeah. like it's all cardboard walls and shit. Yeah, but it's like all wraparound porches, like two floors of wraparound porches. Yeah, uh, I was like, oh, they got big big water wheel. <laughs> like, oh, this, this this is like like friggin' like like kids' playland, but with lions. Yeah, th- terrible terrible lions. A friend named Mativo stops by and offers Hank a ride to the airport to collect his family. Hank says, "Fuck that, let's just hang out for a while." Yeah. Mativo seems annoyed that some leopards are trying to eat his jacket, and he fights back weirdly long. Mm-hmm. It's like, fuck your stupid jacket, leave it. M- Mativo is the real hero yeah. of this film because he says what I think so often. Yeah. Nonsensically, Mativo tells him that they can't just hang out because the team in charge of renewing his grant to study big cats are literally on their way here right now. I thought you came to take him to the airport right. to collect his family, but now you can't stay because he has to stay. I don't understand. And why are they coming here? What 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 is the purpose of them taking this cuz it's cuz it's like a day's journey? Right. Why do they have to come to him? Doesn't make sense. Well, I assume they want to see the state of the well, cats. Well, they they get to see it. Yeah, like they get it's, way it's, closer it's than bad. I would. The state is bad. For this whole nonsense conversation, the entire set is crawling with cats fucking up everything. Mativo decides to stay. Noel Marshall has the most annoying face and voice of anyone I've ever seen in a movie. His voice is so shrill and scratchy, he makes a modern-day Nick Nolte sound like an angel. Do you know who I could not get out of my head for this? Do you know who Cody Brown is? Uh-uh. He's the, um, he's that polygamous guy on Sister Wives or whatever. Okay. But, like, 
He sounds like that. <laughs> he sounds just like that. He throws these temper tantrum fits all the time. And yeah. he makes stupid decisions all over the place. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's just Cody Brown. But instead of having wives, he's got a shit ton yeah. of lions. Sister lions. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to think of who his voice reminded me of because it, it, it definitely reminded me of somebody. Yeah. I have not seen that show. I feel like Nick Nolte gets to that pitch sometimes. Yeah. But he doesn't stay there forever. But because he's also got that kind of like hippie esque, like man, yeah, like, like uh, I want to say like a Dennis Hopper, but uh, it, it it's like it's like I know I've heard it somewhere. Yeah, it's it's very rough to listen to. This is a madhouse. No, it is. It's just like life. You get the funny with the tragic. Just with him, you get the gentle and the ferocious too. To be uh, careful of the bad and enjoy the good. You aren't careful enough. Well, for my studies, I have to get as close to them as possible. <laughs> he introduces Robbie, the biggest lion in his collection, to Mativo. He mentions that another local lion, Togar, is always sparring with Robbie for dominance. You know, he's the nicest cat in the world, and he's also the top cat here. No, he's the boss. I work for him. Hey, Rob, follow him. Hank tells all about the politics of this pride of lions, and it sounds mostly like shitty fan fiction a guy wrote about dangerous animals he shouldn't legally have access to. It's like, you don't fucking know what these lions think of each other. You're just a stupid idiot who collected a bunch of lions. The board is suddenly here to approve Hank's study. They all float up on boats. Among the board members are some local hunters who threaten to kill these dangerous animals if they get too close to human populations. These men are supposed to be the villains of the film, and I have never identified more with the villains of a film than I do here. They tell him what he's doing is dangerous. Hank says, nonsense. Then the lions attack each other. Then they attack Hank. Then they attack the whole board here to approve the study. The whole time Hank is running around like a panicky, skittish asshole, which seems like the worst energy to present in the middle of a pride of unruly lions. Yeah. He makes the Tiger King look like a goddamn professional. How yeah. is this proving his point? It's How, it's doing the opposite. It's, well, exactly, but that's what, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, why would you have the lions attack literally anyone in this film that that literally wasn't the point they weren't supposed to do that but they filmed it because it was what actually happened because right. he wanted to show that lions don't do that and then the lions did that to people who were who were actors in a scene and didn't know that they were going to get attacked by lions these people did not know that they were going to get attacked by lions neither did the guy who invited a hundred lions to come and meet them he had no idea they would attack these people because he's just a fucking idiot and and, and his his reaction to any lion attack is to scream and yell at them. And, and just run. wave his arms around like a maniac. Yeah. It's infuriating. All the blood we see in these attacks is real. Sometimes we see people who thought they were actors in a movie, but with their faces torn wide open and completely painted in blood. In this particular scene, Hank's hand is ripped open by a lion's claw and he lazily wraps it. The wound was later infected with gangrene and Noel Marshall spent years recovering from it. They follow that with lots of footage of animal abuse and big cats scratching the fuck out of each other. Pretty much every character, and by all accounts the actors too, are seen drenched in real blood. Oh, what the hell's wrong with you? All you got's a few scratches. You're lucky Togar didn't get you. Back at the airport, Hank's family are warned that if they miss the last bus, they'll be here overnight with no bed. They get on the bus, and we cut back to Hank's place. Hank insists on changing before they leave for the airport. Instead of changing, he sits on the floor and talks to a lion cub for a while. Mativo starts sweeping the house a bit while Hank takes a bath. Why are you doing this? What are you doing? That's yeah. like cleaning a room that my kids are still sitting in. <laughs> <It's> pointless. <laughs> All the lions crowd into the house and fight a lot. 
Once they finish cleaning the house for several hours, they let 30 lions into it to fuck everything up, and then they leave to collect Hank's family finally. Like, hours and hours and hours after they should have. On the bus traveling here, Hank's daughter Melanie, played by his actual stepdaughter Melanie Griffith, complains to her mom Madeline, played by her actual mother, Tippi Hedren, that she doesn't fuck her dad enough, and that's why he moved to Africa to get away from them. I mean, how could you be away from dad for so long? You know that your father and I were having problems, and we thought it would be better to be apart for a while. You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. The heart, maybe, but what about the sex glands? Sex is all you think about lately, young lady. You'd better watch it, or you're going to get your little tail in trouble. Someday I hope you'll understand the beauty of restraint and self-denial. Well, I hope it wasn't restraint and self-denial that drove Dad away. Keep in mind, Noel wrote this fucking movie, so unless one of the lions wrote this scene, he's just using his stepdaughter to complain about the sex he isn't getting. Traveling on Mativo's boat to somewhere, I don't know where they're going, this river doesn't go to the airport. Right, yeah, I mean, it, it goes somewhere, which I guess they could get a car or a vehicle to collect them maybe because the only vehicle he has is a motorcycle yeah so he can't go get them on that because the motorcycle's at the house right you could have gotten to the airport so fast yeah and you just went there so i'm assuming that the boat will take him to a location in which a vehicle that can carry them to the boat and then take the boat back again. right but instead there's a bunch of tigers on the boat yeah because he just invited them he waved them onto the boat to be like oh come on guys you guys want to come with us okay hop on the boat and as they're traveling down river, he's singing this terrible fucking song. And you can tell that Noel Marshall thought he had a great singing voice. What just how is seen without her? So, kiss me once, kiss me twice, and kiss me once again. It's been long. A pair of Bengal tigers sleeping on the boat weigh it down until it capsizes in the water. And this is Mativo's boat. Right. That's his personal boat, and now it's underwater. Effed up his boat. And he doesn't even seem to care. He has total disregard for everybody's stuff in this movie. Hank's family arrive home without his help and march right into the houseboat. I can't tell exactly, but it seems like they have no idea that their dad owns 100 lions, and he hasn't warned them in any way. Nor do they notice any of the many lions, tigers, leopards, lazing about the property as they walk inside. Right, yeah, they're, they're all mysteriously either missing or... Or the they're looking down at the ground while they're walking around above yeah. them, but they get into the house and I'm all, this house must reek, like absolutely yeah. stink of lion piss, piss and, and shit, yeah. and you can't cover that up just by sweeping the yeah. dust up. This this whole place must just smell so foul and disgusting, and they're just walking around going, I guess no one's here. It's like, yeah, no, it's like you'd be gagging and vomiting immediately. <laughs> They call to him repeatedly but can't find any sign of him. Madeline checks room and is frightened to find a solitary bird inside, which is amusing because she was hospitalized for trauma after being exposed to so many birds on the set of Hitchcock's Birds, and then she turned around and let this dumb fuck push her into a house full of lions. Well, so I assumed that this was supposed to be a reference to that. I mean, it, it yeah. looked too much like the film. But she was be. literally hospitalized working on birds because she was like, they didn't tell me there would be birds in this room. And then there were birds in this room. And here she's like, yeah, eat my kids, Lion. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> there might have been some permanent damage done there. Yeah. The family suddenly notice a pack of lions eating a zebra in the front yard and try to close the doors to keep them out, but the lions quickly swarm the place, bringing many chunks of zebra in with them. Yeah, so was this 
a zebra that they just caught? It looks like they just wrapped fabric around meat. It doesn't look like a real zebra. No, no, no. But I mean, as far as in the story. Yes, like, I think so. Like yeah. the lions went out, yep. hunted a zebra. They're free range back. lions that he just lets wander around. That's why these hunters are like, we're going to stay on the edge of your property line and kill anything that comes out here. So he, the, he's not even really taking care no, of them. No, he's not doing anything. He, he's just living amongst them and letting he's them He's giving do. them an opportunity to live near him. That's yeah. all. And for some reason, they all stick around, which is very weird if you ask me, because in the wild- They wouldn't ma- want to live in this house. Well, the male lions don't generally live in groups. Like the male lions leave their group when they're of, of age to start a new pride. That's why they are constantly fighting. Yeah. So they don't stick around each other. So the fact that there's like four or five males in this group is is unusual. And it's why they're fighting all the time. The family, Madeline, daughter Melanie, and sons John and Jerry, all try to hide in separate boxes, all of which are overturned eventually by the lions. Madeline manages to break out of her box and frees her two sons to lift the furniture that Melanie is trapped in. Once they get her out, they formulate a plan. One of the boys suggests riding a motorcycle in a random direction in search of help. Unfortunately, none of the doors on this house seem to lock or even completely close, and 20 lions walk right into the room with them. They just run into a room, close the door, and then lean against it until the lions either break through the door or the adjacent wall, and this happens, no joke, seven fucking times in a row. Like, I thought it was like a too many cooks situation where it's like, how many times before this is just funny that they keep closing a door and they break through? Even though the airport is a 20-minute bus ride away, Hank and Mativo are not 1% of the way there. He sends Mativo into a small village to ask for bicycles and then walks around the back with a pair of Bengal tigers to scare the villagers away so they can steal bikes. It's like, why are you even asking for them then? We cut to the last scene that will mention Hank's grant money, and the hunters, all bandaged up now, have been proven right that animals and man cannot live together in peace and are making plans to hunt the dangerous animals that Hank has allowed to roam free around his property. They're met with an inexplicable resistance from the rest of the committee who must just have a vor kink and hope to get eaten one day. Yeah, it's like it's like they were all there. Yeah, they you guys all got attacked happened. also. But it's like I guess we didn't die, so he must Hank must be right. Yeah. We survived a t- deadly lion attack, so everything must be okay. Very literal survivorship bias. You are not going to kill those cats. You can tell me what you're going to do, and you can tell me what the rest of this committee is going to do. Rick. But I'll be damned if you're going to tell me what I'm going to do. We'll never see this committee again because they weren't stupid enough to return to the lion house. Hank, who intentionally brought two tigers on this errand, tigers that sank Mativo's boat in the river, is suddenly worried that they won't let him bring the same tigers to the airport. Mativo climbs a tree and Hank asks him to dangle things down to distract them so that he can continue on to the airport without him. And for some reason, Mativo agrees. You know, you're right. I can't go to the airport with them. They'll go right in with me. Hey, I got an idea for you. Hang down off that branch. Let your feet hang down here. Let your feet. They'll jump right up and try to get you, and then they'll stay here. I can sneak away. Apparently forgetting that cats are famously expert tree climbers. The distraction works long enough for Hank to bike away. And what is his plan once he gets to the airport? Put the whole family on On the the bike. bike. Yeah. He can't be more than 10 miles from the airport now, but somehow it takes him 12 fucking hours to get to the airport. And he sings his garbage songs the whole way there. It's only in the film because Noel Marshall is clearly deluded about what a terrible fucking singing voice he has. You make me feel so alive. Make me feel like living on a dime. You make me feel so alive. 
There's more to life. There's so much more to life than meets the eye. It takes a lot to see the forest for the trees. You make me feel so alive. And I thank you, love, for showing why. There's more to life than meets the eye. Back at the boathouse thing, whatever it is, Melanie is in tears, confident they won't survive the night. Probably real tears. Madeline assures her that when her father gets home, everything will be fine, even though the man has shown no particular expertise in this field and is probably worse at handling them than any random person off the street. I honestly think I could corral these lions a hundred times better than this unequipped moron. I mean, they ha- it has to be in their mind at this point that he is dead. Right? Like They're no, finding I, like I torn up clothes that. in the house. I think they say that at some point, that they think he is dead. Okay, because his motorcycle's here and, and, and there's no sign of him. Yeah. And Togar's covered in blood. The hunters load guns in a shed. Hank finally gets to the airport at 3 a.m. and has no idea why his family aren't still here waiting for him when he lives so close. He borrows a car from one of the men working the airport, and even driving full speed through completely black desert roads, it takes him more than 12 hours to get back to Mativo. He took longer to drive this distance, 50 miles an hour, than he did going 5 miles an hour on a fucking bike. It doesn't make any sense. It took him longer to get back. Before Mativo can get in the car, Hank invites two fucking tigers who take all the available passenger space. Mativo asks him to kick out the tigers so he can ride along, but Hank says if he leaves them out here, somebody will shoot him. Maybe don't bring them. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't wave them into my boat. Mativo reminds him that the tigers are fucking dangerous and it's his own fault for bringing them here to be hunted in the first place. He also takes issue with Hank calling the animals his friends. These are your friends, huh? And do you know what your friends are probably doing to our family right now? They are making dinner of them. They are eating them. Tivo, shut up. They are sitting around eating them, cracking their bones. Shut up. They are licking their bones clean. Shut up. Yeah, this this is like Mativo, yes. Yep, that's what's happening, probably. This is Mativo, thank you, thank you. The most depressing part here is that the lions are literally doing that. They're attacking Marshall's family on the set of this worthless movie, and they're here making a joke about it now. The fact that Hank refers to Mativo by the nickname Tivo makes me think that this movie inspired someone to invent a way to fast-forward through garbage they didn't want to watch. (laughs) Mativo has to stand on the rear bumper for the ride home, because all the other seats are taken. Hank drives at insanely unsafe speeds back to the house with Mativo hanging on for dear life at the back of the car along a steep mountain cliff when he crashes over a large rock and blows a tire. The family at the house wake up the following morning to find that the tigers have eaten all the luggage they brought on their trip. The only worthwhile footage here is a three-second shot of a lion eventually figuring out how to use a skateboard. (laughs) This is literally the only worthwhile shot in all the dailies. I I, I like the one uh, of the tiger or lion grabbing a a, like a like a motorcycle helmet and like but it like scoops into this mouth so it's covering his face and it runs off yeah he seems so proud of himself (laughs) it's like i really (laughs) want this animal to run into a tree and just go bonk oh i see what this is for there's one who's got a shoe stuck on his tooth and he can't get it off yeah get it off the family sneak out of the house into a small boat and paddle themselves incompetently down the river. They stay close enough to the shore that lions can grab the boat, and eventually they tip the thing over and swim to shore right up to an angry elephant that destroys the entire boat. The elephant also lifts Tippy Hedron out of the water and then bucks her off its back, which caused her to fracture her ankle. They swim back to the house for some reason. Again, Hank makes Mativo distract the tigers so that he can run the last 10 miles to his family without getting mauled by animals he has no control over. Why don't they just keep going? 
I don't know. We see the hunters patrolling Hank's property line and shooting all the lions and tigers they find. This is the most disturbing footage of the movie, but I'm just taking their word for it that they didn't just kill these animals, mm -hmm. that they're tranking them or that they're just falling and making it look like they're shooting them. But it looks a lot like they're shooting these animals and they're all bleeding out as they hit the ground. At the house, older brother John hops on a motorcycle to go get help and it goes wrong in the most confusing way. He rides away from the house with a pack of tigers chasing him, and then he spots an elephant, and instead of just going around to continue looking for help, like he planned to, he turns around and drives back to the house. But instead of just going inside, he rides the bike around the outside of the house and up wood beam ramps from floor to floor until he's on the roof, and then he just drives the bike full speed off the roof into the water like, what?! Like, he had no idea this would happen if he crashed off the side of the house. Yeah, it's like they, they needed some kind of comical action sequence because the other brother, like, peeks up through, like, a hole in the roof yeah. and, just go, and does, like, a... And yeah. just ducks back down. It's like, what? And then, you know, just they did some kind of action. We'll have him drive a motorcycle off the roof. Yeah, and for some reason he didn't know that that would happen. Like, he's surprised how gravity works. He thought Lakito from Mario Kart would just fish him out of the sky and set him safely down somewhere. Uh, sir, he drove off the roof. What? He drove off the roof. And, but this is also not a stunt guy either, right? No, no, it's the son of Noel Marshall. Yeah, yeah so... Jesus. I think he just wanted to do this, and he's like, hey, Dad, can I do this? And he's like, sure, I don't fucking care. I put lines in your bedroom. He could very easily... Like, the, the, the water is not very deep that he lands in. Right, like, yeah. He could have very easily been injured. Meanwhile, back in the house, a lion is literally attacking Melanie Griffith on the floor, and Tippi Hedren is yanking on the big cat's tail in an effort to save her daughter's life. I use the actors' names and not the characters' names because this is really happening. Melanie is crying for her mother to save her life, and Tippi is pulling with literally all of her strength to get a full-sized lion off of her daughter. Which is... I mean, yeah, I know, get the lion off the kid, but pulling a lion's tail seems like the worst possible way I to would do, do it this. because I would be like, this will piss it off and it will turn around and kill me. I guess. And let go of the kid. Like, <sighs> that's what she wanted to happen in that moment. And we're watching it like it's a scene in and the movie. And it essentially like, does. It lashes out at her. Right. And we just saw, like, doo -doo, I just rode a motorcycle off a building. And then we're like, literally, my child is being eaten by a lion in front of me. I... At one point, I feel like he's got her whole torso yep. in his mouth. We see him pull her head back and rip her scalp off. Like, she's screaming and it's tearing at her hair and pulls her hair left to right off of her head. Ugh. She required facial reconstructive surgery and many stitches after this attack. The brothers save the day by opening the door to see what's wrong and letting in five more fucking lions. We cut back to the actual heroes of the film, traveling on horseback toward the house to save this family from the dangerous animals. Can we go back a moment? Like, when this is happening, when she's actually being injured, do they think that she's just acting? No, they know she's being hurt. They know she's actually they've, being they've hurt. They've seen 70 other people get hurt. They and know everybody just like. stands by and watches while it happens. They don't do anything. That's what Noel they said to do. They don't stop filming. They don't try to help any more than, than, than just letting her mom pull on a tail. If it wasn't my kid, I wouldn't help. I would be like, sorry, this is what happens when you put your, your kid in a house with 100 lions. It's not on me to save them anymore. That's a dumb thing that you did. I'm not going to die. Because your kid is getting attacked by the lions that you put on it. Yeah. I'm just a PA. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. That, where this isn't even a union gig. I'm not, I'm not going to protect your daughter from lions. Ugh. It's disgusting. 
Instead of staying inside the house, the entire family pile into the easily destructible open-topped barrels on the porch, some of which are totally full of water and thus bad hiding places. Luckily, John can hold his breath for 20 minutes or so. Mom goes to take a rest, and a broken shelf dumps an entire jar of honey on Tippy Hedron's face. And she doesn't notice. <laughs> We're expected to believe she doesn't feel any of this process. Even when, like, the lid slaps down on the honey and sticks to her face. I feel like they were trying to let us think that she was unconscious from, like, the other so stuff tired. hitting on, her, on the head. Yeah, maybe. Of course, she wakes up to big cats licking her face. She crawls along an aqueduct and down a water wheel to the other side of the shore, and all of her kids are over there now somehow. They all got out, and so she joins them over there, and they walk right into a neighboring structure for a place to catch up on sleep. Of course, there's a huge heavy-duty log cabin 30 feet from the cardboard boathouse with a big chain-link fence around it. But naturally, they don't lock the gate, nor do they even close the door to the building before they all lay down and go to sleep on a concrete floor. Within seconds, the room is also full of lions, but they don't notice because they are so quickly asleep. It has taken Hank almost two days now to get 30 miles round trip to the airport and back. At the edge of his property line, he finds dead lions and cries. We watch the hunters kill another five pack of big cats, and eventually a lion surprises them and kills both men. Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone killed by a cat's paw? Was it Savage Harvest? No, more recent. Full moon high? More recent. <laughs> It wasn't a cat. Um, I'll give you a clue. A cat's paw is a carpentry tool. Oh. oh. Soylent green. That's right. Hank shows up moments too late to shout the lions away from the dead poachers. Oh, you stupid jerks. Come on. The family finally wake up in a cabin full of also sleeping lions. They conclude that the lions, despite hurting them all many times, just wanted hugs this whole time. I don't think they're trying to do this at all. At all? Really? At all you don't think that? You're all bleeding. Hank comes screaming down the road on foot like a demented lunatic. Togar is running ahead of him and immediately picks a fight with Robbie. When Hank finally sees his kids 84 minutes into this 90-minute movie, he forgets all about the lions and hugs them. Mativo shows up and Hank pulls him aside and asks if he could not mention the dead hunters and the likely charges of involuntary manslaughter and potentially second-degree murder that he is likely to face for their deaths. He's like, I'll tell them later. Yeah. Wink. Oh, wink. They'll be dead before I have to tell them anything. Listen, don't say anything about Prentice, okay? But you're getting our hands. I don't want you to say anything about that either. Don't spoil the reunion. I'll tell them later. Don't spoil the reunion. I'll tell them later. Hank is shocked to see the boathouse trashed inside like this doesn't happen every time he goes on a six-hour hike for the mail. Like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen? You left a hundred lions in here. Another terrible song about being in Eden plays over more footage of lions not attacking people. Credits make specific requests to report any piracy to Noel Marshall himself in Acton, <laughs> California. <laughs> he was really concerned about this. Yeah, People are going to want to see this movie so badly they're going to steal it. <laughs> What's is crazy, like in 81, when the, like, the VHS market was just kind of getting yeah. started, like you're like, is video piracy already that big yeah. of a deal? It wasn't even on a home video until 2015. <laughs> <laughs> like, how are people going to pirate this? They're going to sit there and do like, uh, they're going to do a camera record in the theater <laughs> in the one screening ever. Yeah. With a 1980s camcorder. <laughs> yeah. It's going to look like trash. Well, I mean. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Maybe we watched one of those. I don't know. Because this looked like shit. The music was t fucking terrible. The editing is terrible. The acting is, is there's no acting in this movie, I would say. The only acting yeah. that's good acting is people reacting to getting eaten by lions. 
because they are actually doing that. It's very method. This movie's stupid. I hate it. Thumbs down. It's it's a definite thumbs down. I I I don't even know what I was thinking other than just like oh my. Every time something happens, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, uh, and and then the and then it's just like the the whole, literally the whole half almost three quarters of the movie is just them running from room to room in the house yeah. while while Hank bumbles his way to and from the airport and he he is portrayed by accident by complete accident as the least competent lion handler mm-hmm. on the planet yeah. you know what though i'm starting to think maybe this movie did have the right message these idiots should not have lions and they need to be protected and conserved properly. <laughs> right. But, that's, but the that's, message. Yeah. that's not the message that he wanted to convey with this film. Well, that's the message that I'm going with. That's what makes me so angry is that he literally made this movie to show humans and lions can live in the same room and everything will be great. And then people got attacked by lions in every shot of the movie and he released it anyway, trying to prove the same thing it's like what but here's the thing is the people that should get that message will never get that message because if you showed this to the tiger king he would have been like oh yeah i should own a bunch of cats that Mm -hmm. seems like a great plan yeah or he would watch that movie and be like wow i'm doing a great job compared to this guy (laughs) they also had people it's like how i watch hoarders (laughs) when i watch hoarders i'm like oh i guess i don't need to clean up today (laughs) I'm pretty confident there's no dead cats in here. <laughs> like like 85% recently. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I checked under the couch pretty recently. I mean, this movie's a mess. I, w- I was reading some of the production stuff that they, because of just the insanity of what they were doing, that they had just had multiple cameras set up and just right. automatically just recording everything from as many angles as they could get. Which is incra- crazy expensive yeah, for say, what no they're doing. Yeah, I was going to say, wonder it costs $17 million. Yeah. yeah. Jan DeBont said the hardest part was keeping the cameras out of the shots because there were yeah. so many cameras on set at all times. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, because you don't know what's going to happen well, and, and you can't keep resetting a, well, a scene. That's yeah. what I was going to say. How do you keep a uh, – that, that's my question is how you keep a cohesive narrative. I mean, obviously you don't keep it terribly cohesive, but even when – you know, like Melanie's getting attacked and, you know, then more lions walk in, you know, it's just like you had multiple angles of that shot right. going. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's crazy too is that Jan DeBont said it was as big a problem that they couldn't get the lions to do something interesting for each shot as it was that the lions would do something incredibly or unfortunately interesting and we didn't have time to set the cameras up because hurry up and wait you can't keep mm-hmm. the cameras running 24 hours a day and if you can't pick when the lions are going to do something there's only one solution and the solution is to antagonize the lions when you want them to do something mean Ugh. and so that's the only way they're getting any of these shots is by like poking the lions and then turning the cameras on and so they're always assholes in every shot and you're proving the opposite of what you wanted to prove where's this going letterbox jess <laughs> i'm feeling i know where you put it yeah um it's very, very close to the bottom. Uh, it's second to last. I have it 151 out of 152. Um, it is right between private lessons and gas. Gas is at the bottom. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have it at 134, uh, which puts it below Happy Birthday to Me, but above Hell Night. Okay. I have it at 152. It's at the bottom of my list right now. Because wow. it made me so mad and so uncomfortable that... Uh, 
I, this, this is for sure the last time I'll ever see this, and I, and I won't recommend it to anyone. I'll say, don't watch it. Here's what happens. Lions attack people. If they're real people getting attacked by real lions. The lions were treated very poorly. This is just footage of animal abuse and human abuse. Yeah. And it it's there's nothing there's no saving grace to it. There's there's no redeeming factor to the film. There's nothing that you get out of it where you're like at least they got this right. There's they got nothing right. It's horrible. This is a crime. In the same way that your your 151, I think you said, or, or 150 is a crime, private lesson. Well, that's what I, I was struggling. I was just like, what's worse? Well, I think people actually being eaten by lions is Is worse. a little bit worse than, mm-hmm. than statutory rape on the set I, I, of- I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is gross and mean, and I just hate Noel Marshall so much. <laughs> like, like, he's such an aggravating person already. Like, I probably, like, he was aggravating before he said anything or did anything. And then he did these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Don't watch this. It's not worth your time. Our writer-director here, if you can call him that, is Noel Marshall. He played Hank in the film. And some um, lions. And some lions, apparently. <laughs> uh, he was a producer on The Exorcist, and uh, he was also a producer on recent Patreon poll loser, The Herod Experiment. He is the husband of Tippy, the father of John and Jerry, stepfather of Melanie Griffith, and his third son, Joey, or Joel, I found it a couple different ways, um, is the only one who did not agree to appear in the film. The other writer here with Noel Marshall was Ted Cassidy. He was TV's Lurch. He was also Harvey Logan in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Bigfoot in an episode of The Bionic Woman. He also has a writing credit on Noel Marshall produced The Herod Experiment, which also stars Tippy and Melanie. The music here came from Terrence P. Minogue. Just this, thankfully. I can't imagine he's related to Kylie Minogue, but who knows. The cinematographer was Jan DeBont. This was his second American film after Private Lessons earlier this year. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Uh, technically speaking, he did this first, but this took so long to come out that right. that ended up being his first credit. Uh, he's back next year with Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. He later lights Cujo, All the Right Moves, Clan of the Cave Bear, Die Hard, Black Rain, Hunt for Red October, and Basic Instinct. When someone pitched Die Hard on a bus to 20th Century Fox, they went right to Die Hard director John McTiernan with a contract, who turned it down but suggested Die Hard collaborator cinematographer Jan DeBont. Speed became DeBont's blockbuster debut, and he followed it directing Twister, Speed 2, The Haunting, and Tomb Raider 2. Editor Ted Niccolo, he is the director of Subspecies, Terror Vision, and Vampire Journals. Oh, he, sweet Terror Vision? Yeah, that's great. Uh... He previously edited Tourist Trap and The Day Time Ended, and later he edits Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, and Ghoulies. Tippi Hedren played Madeline. We saw her last in her first film, Hitchcock's The Birds. She followed that up with Marnie. She's the mother of Melanie Griffith, the grandmother of actress Dakota Johnson, and she came back for the sequel to Birds as a different character in The Birds 2 Land's End. Melanie Griffith played Melanie. We saw her last in her first feature credit, Night Moves. She didn't even want to be in this movie, and her role in the script was originally given to her childhood friend, Patricia Ned, but when she was eventually talked into it, Ned's scenes were all reshot with Melanie. She's also Skylar Devereaux in The Drowning Pool. We saw her earlier this season as Lucy in Underground Aces. She also shows up in Working Girl, Bonfire of the Vanities, Milk Money, and The Disaster Artist. This film was shot between her two marriages to Don Johnson and before her later marriage to Antonio Banderas. And like I said, her daughter is Dakota Johnson of the Fifty Shades films. John Marshall played John. He was Chuck in Hooper. And I actually met John when they were doing the Blu-ray scan for this movie. And he was so excited to tell me about it. Um, This was, we were in the second floor lobby at Photochem 
when they were doing the processing. And I think he actually stuck around to do the commentary track there with the the producer. But um, he was like, oh, have you ever heard of Roar? Oh, my God, you, you got to see it. It's going to be so great. We're going to have a Blu-ray out by the end of this year. And was just telling me over and over about all the lion attacks that happened on set. I was like, all right, sounds neat. I'll yep. keep an eye out. <laughs> like your sister almost got her eye taken out. Keep it like that. Jerry Marshall played Jerry. He's not in anything else. Kayalo Mativo played Mativo. He shows up later as Sifu in Baby, Secret of the Lost Legend. <laughs> Have you ever seen Baby, Secret oh, of the Lost the, Legend? The little dinosaur? Yeah. Yeah. He's in that one. Uh, Ricky Glassy played Rick. He was Sergeant Claiborne in the 1994 live-action Jungle Book. Zakes Mokai played a committee member. He was Westcott in the island. I think that's the guy at the airport who arrests the pilot after he crash lands the father and son. He also played Dargent Paytroud in Serpent in the Rainbow, Dr. Iwabi in Outbreak, and Priam in Waterworld. And Neil, the lion, went uncredited. This is the same lion that we saw nearly attack Miles O'Keefe on the set of Tarzan the Ape Man earlier this season, when it broke free of its cage and tried to attack Miles O'Keefe and Bo Derek on the beach. You know what we should do with the lion that almost attacked people? Let it near more people. Put it near more people, but also aggravate it with a bunch more lions. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's everything for Roar. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find our socials at linktree slash vintage video pod. Because this is our first episode of the month again, I want to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign. We'll always be free, but if it's worth it to you, $5 patrons get a shout out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. Joining now unlocks 40 full-size 70s reviews and 40 minisodes. For June of 1973, our $5 patrons are choosing between the following 12 titles. A Touch of Class, Melvin Frank's romantic comedy about a British divorced couple who rekindled their relationship while on separate holidays in Spain. It stars Glenda Jackson, George Segal, and Paul Sorvino. Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Jay Lee Thompson's science fiction finale to the five-part Planet of the Apes series, chronicling the struggle for dominance between apes and men on future Earth. It stars Roddy McDowell, Natalie Trundy, Claude Akins, and Severn Darden. The Friends of Eddie Coyle, Peter Yates' crime film about a small-time crook Eddie Coyle turning FBI informant for a lighter sentence and the consequences of that decision. It stars Robert Mitchum, Peter Boyle, and Richard Jordan. Invasion of the Bee Girls, Dennis Sanders' science fiction horror film about a special agent investigating a series of murders which may or may not have been committed by the titular swarm of Bee Girls. It stars Anitra Ford, William Smith, and Anna Ares. The Last of Sheila, Herbert Ross's mystery thriller about a pack of rich folks on a weekend yachting excursion who become embroiled in a deadly game of secrets and revenge. It stars James Coburn, Richard Benjamin, Raquel Welch, James Mason, and Diane Cannon. The Legend of Hell House, John Huff's supernatural horror film about a team of researchers studying the Belasco House, a notoriously haunted mansion, in an effort to uncover its darkest secrets. It stars Roddy McDowell, Pamela Franken, Gail Honeycutt, and Clive Revel. Live and Let Die, Guy Hamilton's spy film, eighth in the James Bond series and the first of Roger Moore's lot about heroin dealings in New Orleans at the order of a voodoo priest. It stars Roger Moore, Jane Seymour, Yafet Koto, Jeffrey Holder, and Clifton James. The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing, Richard C. Serafian Western about outlaw Jay Grobert, who falls in love with a Native American woman and decides to start a new life with her until his past returns to haunt him. It stars Burt Reynolds, Sarah Miles, Lee J. Cobb, Jack Warden, Bo Hopkins, George Hamilton, and Jay Silverheels. Oh, Lucky Man, Lindsay Anderson's British satire about the absurd adventures of a young coffee salesman, Mick Travis. It stars Malcolm McDowell, Helen Mirren, and Alan Price. Scream, Blackula, Scream. 
Bob Keldron's Blackula sequel that sees the character resurrected by a voodoo cult and set on the path of avenging his own death. It stars William Marshall, Pam Greer, and Richard Lawson. Shaft in Africa, John Guillermo's action film, the third installment in the Shaft series, which follows the titular hero back to Africa to break up a human trafficking ring. It stars Richard Roundtree, Vanetta McGee, Debebe Ashetu, and Nada Arnerick. And Superfly TNT, Ron O'Neill's exploitation film about a drug dealer named Priest who also travels to Africa in search of cheap cocaine and joins a revolution against a corrupt government when he gets there. It stars director Ron O'Neill, Sheila Frazier, Roscoe Lee Brown, and Robert Guillaume, each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries in the month of June. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you join us next time when we'll be discussing Saturday the 14th, which IMDb describes like so. A family inherits an old mansion which houses the dangerous Book of Evil that has all the monsters of the world trapped inside it. We leave you now with the trailer for Saturday the 14th. It gets bad on Friday the 13th, but it gets worse on Saturday the 14th. The Book of Evil! Evil? Evil? Richard Benjamin, Paul Apprentice. We've inherited a house with a curse. Oh, come on, Mary. You know you don't believe in curses. Well, somebody did the dishes, and we're the only ones in this house. An innocent family driven absolutely batty. Just when you thought it was safe to look at the calendar again comes Saturday the 14th. The year's number one horror comedy spoof. God, look at all these owls. My name is John Hyatt, and I've got bats in my belfry. You know how many? We're charged by the bat. Hold it right there, man. No, no, darling, keep it away. No, thank you very much. I'd like to take a look at her neck. Well, if you don't trust me after 311 years of marriage... When I leave this house, there'll be nothing left here to be afraid of. Every shroud has a silver lining. So if you see every other chiller this year, you'll need Saturday the 14th. I just must be your charming wife. Ah! Cannon. War. Major pest control. Dead! It's your chance to laugh at everything that ever scared you. Come on, Billy. Quit fooling around. Give me a kiss, darling. Oh, let me just see who that is. I'll be back for that kiss. Be sure to see it before sunrise. Saturday the 14th.